Welcome to Tusker Talk, a podcast from Somer Schools. I'm Amanda Bergen, the district's communications coordinator. Today we are talking about equity in education, and that means creating a school system where everyone has access and opportunity to succeed. With me today is Dr. Ray Blanche, the superintendent of schools, Fiona Youngs, who's a junior at Somers High School, and Naoko Toto, who's a sophomore here, Mr. Bayer, who's the principal of Somers High School, and Julie Girardi, who's the assistant superintendent of learning in the district. So Dr. Blanche, I'd like to start by talking about equity in education and, and what that means at a district level. What's up the philosophy? Sure. One of the things that I hope um, not just the organization but the community sees is the value of uh, what all of our children can bring, what all of our staff can bring. And one of the things we had started a few years ago was this idea about educational equity. And to kind of springboard or kind of jump off on that piece, we had established a uh, committee. It was an educational advisory team. And the, the heart and the intent on that was to make sure as best we could that all students were included in the opportunity to reach their, their true um, potential. And so uh, most often, quickly, you may think about from an equity lens about students maybe different in their, uh, their gender or perhaps their uh, family's background or the language they speak. All of those are included, but also are things like um, students kind of um, perceived intellectual capabilities background and, and, and components like that. So you will hopefully see through the conversation today some of the things that the high school has been uh, you know, hard at work on. For example, like our embedded honors program. How does that break down barriers for all students so they can access the educational values in there? So one of the key pieces on the work out of this equity advisory team is to think about how do we as a school district uh, kind of three prongs that we're looking at are is our curriculum, our learning activities, are those reflective of the diversity of our school district? And then we also think about the celebrations that we have day to day, you know, month to month, are they honoring the diversity of our community? And a really strong piece, and you may hear from this a little bit later from the high school, about the professional learning opportunities to enhance the knowledge and the skills of our faculty and staff. And then, frankly, uh, as we've started working with some of our students on the equity advisory team, it's been very clear how we can help all of us just do a better job of ensuring this educational equity piece across our schools. So it clearly ties into the value. If you look at our district value statements, identified value statements, the one of learning from and collaborating with individuals from the diverse backgrounds as this really mutual respect, self-reflection, and flexible thinking. We want to create this open dialogue. We had a kind of a consultant income from the recommendation of a couple of our teachers actually out of middle school had uh, gained exposure to this person and looking at the school district from a kind of an outside in lens and just looking, are we as an organization setting up systems that support all children or are there some things that we don't even recognize that we are getting in ourselves and getting in our way? And, one of those that we saw ahead of time was this idea about um, educational equity and the idea of intellectual bias. It felt like we had some of this going. Example would, what is, yeah, what does that mean? Yeah, an example would be um, if you think about our children, maybe our kids can speak a little bit too. We talked a little bit before at, at one of our meetings or a few of those where if I'm coming into the high school, let's say, at ninth grade, a big pressure point that a student coming out of ninth grade may feel is, oh, am I, quote, unquote, an honor student? 
or am I a Regent student? And all of a sudden, it's, it's I'm not a student anymore. I'm one of these students or one of those students. And so um, we really spent some time reflecting on that, researching in that area, and really those are pretty um, strong labels that kids are getting already right off the bat. So uh, come in, Mark, Mr. Bear, and his team here. They had started um, an embedded honors pilot program here this fall. Um, it's a humanity experience, but the children go into that coursework. They're not identified as regions or honors. They choose if they would like to go and seek that distinction of an honors experience, which is usually a little bit more of an in-depth conversation. Maybe they're tying a few more concepts together than you would if you were going for the, the re typical regular credit. And the students have an option there. They can try to reach for that. And if they reach for that, great. They can get that little added weight at the end of there, the honors distinction. If not, then they can go ahead and get the regular weight for that grade. They don't have to change classes or anything like that. So it really is student-centered, and it's about the student voice and choice there. You bring up uh, an interesting point there, and girls, I'd like you to speak to that. What is that like coming in to, uh, Dr. Blanche talked about coming in and immediately needing to define yourself as a Regent student or an honor student. Do you, do you feel that that's an issue that you were confronted with or you saw students confronted with? Can you talk a little bit about that? I have not taken my first honors class until this year, junior year, because I didn't want it to be too, too hard for me, and I was worried more about my grades than whether or not I was going to really enjoy the class. So I took all Regents classes freshman and sophomore year, and I really, really liked history, so this year I took my first honors history class, and it was, it's been an amazing experience, but it's just the pressure of trying to pick, do I want a really good grade, or do I want to go into something I'm going to really enjoy? So I found that was hard for me. It was hard right, right from the start coming into the high school. Nako, how about you? I also um, got to experience both uh, a Regents class and an honors class. Last year I took regular Regents bio and then this year I'm taking chemistry honors and the biggest problem I saw like with that is um, there's kind of a big gap first of all between Regents and honors like g rising to another level is like the you'd expect it to be just one step up but it feels like an exponential wow that was really higher than I thought it'd be in terms of the and amount of work or the the rigor of the course both I think and also um, it's, there's more pressure because a lot of times I see that uh, my honors teachers, they don't mean it in a bad way, but they say, oh, this is a Regents class um, work, so it should be easy for you guys. And it sometimes isn't, and it kind of gives you that idea of like, oh, should I be in this class? Do I deserve to be in that class? If I just want to add to that, I think to, to juxtapose that with the embedded honors, you know, you heard in there a value statement, right, that, that comes right. along with that label. And in the embedded honors... What I think the beauty of that model is and that mindset is that we honor students for where they are, not what class they're in. And so that if a student chooses to stretch themselves to do the honors um, tiered assignment um, and, and, for example, doesn't do well in it, that student isn't left feeling like I'm less than. They feel like, okay, I missed the mark on this one, but I know, I know what I need to do to do better the next time. But when you tell a student in... March of the previous year, you need to choose between honors and regents. That student often feels, especially in our in our non-honors classes, um, feels like they are less than, or yeah. feels like they're not capable of. And so we've set up a system where students feel value based on which class they're in, as opposed to 
challenging themselves when they feel ready to do so. Do you foresee doing more embedded honors courses? Across we we hope matter? to. We've had great success with the embedded honors humanities classes. The kids um, have really expressed f the, their their satisfaction in terms of understanding themselves as learners um, and knowing that they can actually do more than sometimes they, they might think of they're, they're capable of doing. I think part of the work of creating an equitable school system is viewing student first, not label first. So when um, Dr. Blanche and, and Mr. Bayer talked about, you know, honors student or region student, um, there's a difference. You, you put that label first as opposed to saying this is a student with skills in or this is a student with a passion for. So viewing a student first and creating an environment where students have voice and students have choice in their learning is, is what helps to create a more equitable setting as opposed to I've, you know, I've selected or I've either been labeled or I've labeled myself. As Fiona said, I chose. I've labeled myself because of fear. Um, and part of, part of, another part of creating an equitable school system is making sure that there are supports in place and that students um, don't all receive the same support, but they receive the support that they need. Fair doesn't mean equal. And what, right. is, what does that look so, like? So you talked, every, every mm -hmm. one of us in, is an individual and also part of a group. Um, some groups are larger than others. We have, you know, large groups of students who, for example, are on athletic teams or uh, a large group of students that play music. But that's not the only thing that defines them. So I'm an individual. I am part of a group, but I am also unique in my own right. And um, looking at students as individuals and also as part as part of a group is is part of this work that we're creating and and one of the one of the aspects it's not only uh, Mr. Bayer talked about the embedded honors it's not only academic but it's also about creating a social social emotional place where everyone feels safe and welcomed and their their voice is is honored and they feel empowered to be a contributing member of our school system. So there was an incident recently at the high school where a swastika was found um, in the mm -hmm. on a chair in the library um, written in marker mm -hmm. I believe um, and as Julie just said we're trying to create an environment where people feel welcomed and um, comfortable. What happened immediately after that was found? And then how, what have you done since then to address the situation? Right, so I think it's also important to note that a lot of the work we're talking about is work that's been ongoing for the last two years. So, right, so it's not just a reaction to that incident, although that incident certainly highlights our need to do more. Um, so in, in the immediate aftermath, um, the symbol was removed. Um, we did as, as best of an investigation we could, although it's a very public space and um, likely was there for a while before even anyone even noticed it, so we were not able to pinpoint an exact time, uh, therefore be able to pinpoint um, the perpetrator of it. Um, a note did go out to the community um, immediately alerting them to it, as well as a follow-up letter explaining kind of all the things that we do as a district and as a building to address um, you know, the issue of acceptance and, and, and the work we're doing to make all students feel safe. 
Um, in the um, aftermath of that, we've partnered with, uh, we've, we've had a couple of partnerships um, in the last couple of years, but for this particular one, we partnered with the Holocaust and Human Rights Education Center of White Plains, um, who've, who've been working with schools to think about professional learning for our staff and then training that we can do with students to make them more aware. Because uh, one of the things that we've noticed is in having conversation with students is that while students recognize the swastika as a symbol, they don't fully know, um, some of them that we spoke to don't fully know the origins of it or the impact of it. Um, so we felt that there was some room for us to do some, some learning and, and some teaching. Um, so to that end, um, they're coming in to our entire faculty and doing a presentation on the history of anti-Semitism, um, both within the, the, the larger global society as well as within the United States. Um, Following that, we're going to be training our, our all of our social studies and English teachers uh, specifically on the two aspects of that, which are hate speech and hate language, and of recognizing hate symbols. And the idea is that they would then each, um, all of our English and social studies teachers would deliver lessons to our students. Um, social studies would be doing the history of hate symbols and recognizing hate symbols, um, the swastika just being one of many, unfortunately. And then the English teachers would be doing a lesson with students on um, hate language and yes. talking about free speech versus, you know, protected speech versus free speech and hate language and how that all kind of c comes together. And will that touch every student in the school? Every student in our student uh, will have an uh, a shared experience that, that, that will be delivered in both of those classes since all of our students take either English or social studies. Fiona Nauko, what was the response in the school? It was mentioned in my social studies class. Um, and we all kind of said we've noticed them before. It's not like the first time we've seen them. We've seen them in other places. I don't know exactly where that one was found, but I know it was in the library. They said that that one has been there for a while. Like People notice it and just kind of ignore it for the most part unless it truly does affect you. And I feel like it wasn't as big of a deal towards the kids, some of the kids, um, as it was towards others that you know, might have been affected by that symbol in emotional kind of ways. So. Was there outrage? It almost sounds like it was kind of like, huh, well, yeah, we see those every now and then. What was... So um, for me, um, I also, last year, my Jewish friend was sitting at the library and she noticed that there was a swastika on her chair as well. So it's actually not the first time that I've heard of something like this happening. I've seen, like, racial slurs etched into the gym floor. And... Um, there's a lot of stuff like that that happens on the down low, and I feel like um, we as students who see that more often uh, kind of become a little desensitized to it, so it's a little more difficult to like really understand what's behind those words and those symbols. And uh, it's, it's, I don't think it's really coming, I'm not really sure if it's coming from a place of like malintent. It's definitely, we have to have a little more education on it is what I think. And I feel like to some students right now, it's not that it's meaningless, but if you have no connection to it, kids kind of just ignore it. I know I've seen them on tables in classrooms. I've seen them on the bus. I've seen them in the library. I've seen them in the cafeteria. I've seen them in the gym. Like, I've seen them other places. So I feel like a lot of students do just ignore it, and it's like this, whatever, it's going to be there. People are going to put it there. You can't take away every single one in the school. But it, it's really unfortunate that it does affect so many other people. So, again, I really think we should have um, 
speakers, I guess, come in and tell us more about it. I remember we had one back in the middle school. Um, People who had personal experience. Yes. And also, um, maybe we can have a few students from our like student body population as well come in. Uh, my friend, for example, the one I mentioned before, who's Jewish, is really passionate about like um, speaking up against anti-Semitism. And I feel like if we have a more someone we know, someone we're more like close to, it's easier to empathize with those uh, problems and the issues we're dealing with now. And I think it is a big part that students play, that students need to kind of have a voice, not just amongst other students, but we're lucky enough to be on this kind of team to give our opinions on what we see every day. And I think it's important that kids have that that voice, that opportunity to say something towards even just each other, just saying, hey, like, why are you doing that? Why is this being done? I don't appreciate it. You don't appreciate it. Like, stuff like that, because just by adults telling kids to do something, it's really not going to get as far as it could if other kids are saying something, too. The whole climate change needs to come from the student body all coming together and saying, whether I'm Jewish or not, that symbol affects me, mm-hmm. and it's not okay. And having the courage to speak out and saying that. I was just thinking one of the things that we've done, obviously we're talking at the high school level right now, and uh, neither one of these young ladies had the experience of where I think we're in a different place now, even just starting at Primrose. Um, the team has kind of adopted what are identified as these social justice standards. And there's four big buckets that we're working this idea about identity and diversity, action, and justice. And so our youngest children, starting over at kindergarten now, are being exposed to a guaranteed experience that these words, these ideas, are part of their vernacular, are part of their experiences, are part of their discussions. Uh, Every morning, each one of our elementary schools starts with a morning meeting. What that is is establishing a <coughs> local community. <laughs> and so most often they'll be able to go ahead and talk about some of these items, and they often do it through literature. <coughs> and so they may be reading a text uh, on some difficult conversation, but quite frankly it often seems more difficult for our adults and our older folks than the youngest children. Because, like you said, it has to be a way of being. It's not going to be... A visit to, those are very helpful, those are reinforcers and strong ones, but how does it become a way of being? Like Nalco was saying before, when you see it, you got to say something. And so I think that's the part that hopefully out of this, in the district's response and the school's response and what we've been doing, we'll clearly empower all of our children saying, you know what, it's not okay here. It's just not okay. And let's talk about that. And I think where, uh, I don't remember which one of you said it before, was speaking about not necessarily a male intent piece, I'm viewing it as a lack of understanding and a lack of education. Mm-hmm. So we need to do it more consistently, earlier, and clearer so our children really get that education and understanding there. And I would have to say right now, unfortunately, in our society, and you will look at this information that is gathered from a, a national, state level, these types of incidents are clearly on the rise over these last couple of years. And I would say the reality is, is we started this work a couple of years ago in earnest in an anticipation, unfortunately, that we were seeing this marketed movement. So it may happen other places. We may see that. But what we'd like to do is, like these two young us here, we feel that if these folks in our school, we're focusing on 3,000 kids, they go out to their communities, and now they become you know, kind of beacons of light out there that can show how do you 
make sure that everybody is accepted for all the differences they bring to any relationship. And so, have the courage to speak up. Yes. Which is, a, which is really hard, yeah. Fiona. I feel like it also, it really does start with feeling comfortable. Sometimes in this school particularly, I know, it is very hard to feel comfortable or feel like you can say something to maybe even administration. I know people that have trouble with that or other teachers or other students just saying something in general. So I feel like feeling comfortable in the school, feeling like I can go to a school every day and, you know, be my fullest self, that's a huge part of this because if I don't feel that way, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to go if I have a problem to administration or I won't go to a teacher, I won't go to another student because I don't feel comfortable or feel like something is going to get done. So I feel like that's a big part of starting off. And that's part of the that social-emotional climate that we're creating, we're hoping to create. And as Dr. Blanche mentioned at the elementary schools, we you hear about things like bucket fillers and upstander, be an upstander versus a bystander. Um, it's it's giving students voice and hopefully encouraging them, creating communities in their classrooms where they feel comfortable, and hopefully that will carry through as they go up through the grades. Our our no place for hate initiative was has been part of that work, um, creating schools where, as Nalco said. It's not about, most of the time, the, stu- the students don't have a bad intention, but the impact of their actions or their words um, has a negative impact. And sometimes it's not with the person they're joking with or playing with or sitting next to, but it's creating an atmosphere where I might be a student um, in the room or in the vicinity or happening upon that symbol or that, you know, hearing that, those words that impacts my experience and as Fiona said maybe you know makes me feel less comfortable in voicing my concerns but if we start young if we have students understand what it means to be a bucket filler you know filling someone's bucket making someone feel um, happy and accepted um, as opposed to taking away pulling away from who they are um, we hope that those, you know, those practices will grow as students go up through the grades. And, and unfortunately, these girls didn't have the opportunity to start at, at, at Primrose with this work, but, but we are working on this in earnest. It even goes down to creating a climate in a classroom community that reflects all the students. We talk about books as windows or mirrors. Some, some of the books we, we have in our classrooms are mirrors of who we are, of who, who is in the classroom, but others represent mirrors or give us wind, windows as opposed to mirrors into the lives of other people and the experiences of, of other people so that we develop empathy. Empathy is the key here in developing an equitable environment. Uh, Mr. Bear, I'm going to let you have the last word. And we've talked a lot about... Um, all the work the district is doing with younger kids, but we're certainly not leaving the high school kids in the dust and saying, oh, too late for you. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm going to let you have the last word on, on what the high school is doing and your vision for for how to educate and make this a climate where everybody feels accepted. Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, I'm reflecting a little bit on what Fiona said because that it, it's hurtful to hear that, not I appreciate the honesty behind it, but because I think that's a, a goal that we all have as educators, right, which is to have students feel comfortable. Uh, we know that learning doesn't happen unless students feel comfortable, right? Safety and, and, and feeling uh, comfortable to be yourself is one of the most basic needs in order to thrive. 
And so um, we're always working on that. And we recognize, you know, I don't think in all the work that we're doing and all the, and, and, and the incidents we talked about and the, and the, the, the symbols and the language that we hear in our, in our building, um, that, that no one is Im immune to any of this, that it, the best schools, the best environments, the best communities um, who do this work still experience these issues. And it's, it's not a, it's the, the experience in it is not a definition of who you are, it's, it's a test of who you are and how you react to it. And so I hope that, that the community recognizes the work that we are doing. Um, so, you know, going back for years now, our, our social studies classes um, teach a whole unit on human rights violations throughout the world, and our students engage in a pretty lengthy, um, authentic project where after they study all the different human rights violations, and sadly there are a lot of them um, throughout the world, both historically as well as modern day, uh, the students investigate a, a one of those options of their own um, to go into greater detail and to create a project around that. I know at our middle school, for example, they also do a social action project where, where the students look at lots of different social um, issues, um, you know, plaguing society, so lack of clean water in underdeveloped nations or um, even things like recycling and the, and the use of plastic and, and what that's done to our environment, and then they create a social action project. So. There's lots of work that we are doing. Um, it, it, this isn't a one and done. It's not. It's not something that is easily. Oh, you know, here's the here's the problem. Let's put a bandaid on it and move on. This is something that we're dealing with um, students, with human beings, and and these are issues that we constantly raise and, and get students to think about uh, to be, in order to get better. Um, we're bringing in um, another uh, speaker that our student leaders had seen at a conference two years ago. Uh, his name is Dr. Omikangu uh, Dibinga. He's a um, professor at American University who's a diversity educator. And he talks about how to make schools safe and how to be an upstander versus a bystander. And so this work is, is ongoing. And as, as Julie said, we're doing it in earnest um, and have been doing it in earnest, even if the elementary schools are, are, are a place where that's starting now. Our students have always been exposed to this kind of work. Um, and our student life center is really that that idea also is making sure that um, every student that comes through our building is in some way connected to our school. That students aren't just kind of like going through the motions or fly under the radar. That there's a place for them to be themselves, to be your full selves, to realize your full potential. Uh, we think that's extremely important, that students don't just come here for four years and see it as a place where I just go and learn and then go home and do nothing, that they find it as a place where they can find success, where they can be themselves, they can learn and explore um, their passions and learn from other people and uh, to really reach their true potential. Thank you all for this conversation, especially Nalco and Fiona, for the work that you're doing. Thank you. Yes, yeah. thank you. Thank you. Yeah. The school's lucky to have you. So. Thank you. Um, and Thank also, you. two initiatives that were mentioned were um, social-emotional learning and No Place for Hate. And we have podcasts that have been done previously. Um, so be sure, if you're listening, to check those out to get some more information on both of those initiatives. So thank you all again, and thanks for tuning in, and please tune in next time.